Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all. It's great to hear you all. Hope everybody has been doing well. It was an amazing worship, amen? Amen. So all those songs really spoke heavily to me, and it really um, formed the basis of my, um, my, my preaching today. I want to be talking about Jesus, who he is, why we celebrate him, uh, why he is who he is, um, just his birth, and why do we celebrate Christmas. So... That last song that we just had, um, I Have a Savior, especially that song, it, um, it's not a Christmas song, but now when I think about Christmas, I kind of think about that song because it speaks about who Jesus is. It speaks about what he has done for you. It speaks about how you are never alone. It speaks about his sovereignty, that he's always there for you, that he's almighty that he knows all, that he is your future, that he is your hope. And that song really speaks to me, and it really pushed me into forming this uh, preaching of just who Jesus is, why do we celebrate him. We don't celebrate him because of what he can do for us. We celebrate him because he is who he is, amen? So I just want to go through a quick introduction of, of when he was born uh, If you follow with me, I'm going to go through Luke 2. I'm just going to go straight from the top of it. This is the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him up in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So here we have the birth of Jesus I'm going to stop there very quickly, then we're going to continue in verse 12. Uh, What I want to do uh, throughout this um, preaching is just kind of break down. This is only a very quick introduction of who Jesus is. I can't give you the full thing uh, all in one day. But I just want to give a quick introduction of just who he is, kind of break down um, just the fact that before his conception, he was already different. He was not an ordinary child. We all know that. He was not an ordinary child. He was a child 
that was labeled the Messiah. He was, he was the Holy One. And he's the one that, that came to die for our sins. From the get-go, he was not an ordinary child. And I just want to break down just from that to his time on earth of, of what he has done. So going from verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So just from his conception, just from him being born, praise is already being lifted up. And I just want that to be the theme for today. Just celebration, just celebrating, just praising God for who he is. As we think about Christmas, sometimes we think about gifts. We think about what we can get, what we can give to other people. And we always have to remember that the greatest gift we ever received was the day that we accepted Jesus. Amen? From that day forward, your life no longer belonged to you. It belonged to him. That was the greatest gift. That was the greatest decision that you could ever make. Jesus always loved you. But he needed that relationship. And when you took that step forward, if you remember the day, when you go back and remember that day of when you accepted him, I could already imagine all the angels. I was rejoicing as, as they saw you take that step in faith. As, um, as you think back of the time that you may have been baptized, I can already imagine all the angels just celebrating. Heaven was making noise as you accepted Jesus. That is the greatest gift we've ever received. So when I think about that, when I think about Christmas, all I want to think about is praise. All I want to think about is celebration. So as we continue on, we're going to go to Luke 2, 16 to 20. If you follow along, we're going to continue on that theme of praise. So they hurried off. So this is when uh, the shepherds came because they heard about Jesus. And they needed to see who is this Messiah. So we're going to go from 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, uh, they spread the word concerning what had been told uh, them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned uh, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Uh, which were just as they had been told. God hasn't done anything yet. He's only just arrived. And from the get-go, all he's been getting was just praise, praise, praise. Praise from the angels, praise from the shepherds that took time to travel just to meet him and then immediately go and spread the good news of him. And that's what we should be doing ourselves. We should be praising him, um, spreading that good news, especially during this time most over as we're celebrating Christmas, as we're celebrating uh, what God has done, as we celebrate his birth. Now more than ever, we should be going out and telling it on the mountain. We should be going out and just praising him for who he is. As we continue forward, I'm going to just, I'm going to just be jumping uh, through this. I'm going to go jump down to Luke 2, 28 to 32. Now, 
we're in the temple and we're going to be looking at Simeon. I'm going to go from verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms. He's holding baby Jesus as he was brought into the temple. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said, uh, and said to Mary, his mother, This child, Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be, that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce, will pierce your own soul too. So you already see Simeon giving a prophecy of who Jesus is, that once again we see that Jesus is not an ordinary child from the moment of his birth. Simeon gives a very quick and honest prophecy of Jesus over to Mary. And you can see just from that prophecy that God, Jesus, he's, there's going to be division. He's come here and it's not just going to be peace, but there's going to be war. There's going to be division. There will be people that will be against him as we have seen. And he hasn't come just for peace. He knew that there's going to be times of, of hardship. There's going to be times of war. That it's not going to just be a fairy tale where everything just goes well. But because of his namesake, there will be a lot of bloodshed. Because of his namesake, people will go through things from then all till now. Where we still have people going through things because they praise the name of Jesus. So if we read that again, just that prophecy. 20, uh, 28. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people in Israel. And then at that prophecy again, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. He will be a blessing unto you when you receive Christ. He will be a blessing unto you. But at the same time, when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to be on Team Jesus, that name will cause a lot of division because he's not of this world. And the things of this world will always be against him. So it takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of a lot, you have to really humble yourself when you choose to follow Jesus. You have to realize, when I choose Jesus, I choose to go against everything else. I choose to stand out. I choose to be different. And when you do that, people will look at you different. But when you accept Jesus, you also become different. When you go into your workplaces, when you go out, when you, you're, when you go into a room, you are different. You are not the same. And people can see that light in you when you've accepted Jesus. 
So the same way that he was persecuted, that he went through things because of his name, when you take on his name, you will go through the same. Life will not become easier, <laughs> as you know. It will not become easier. But God is good all the time. And all the time, there you go. I'm, I'm glad you're awake. <laughs> so I'm going to jump down again. Now I want to look, or actually I want to go to uh, verse 36 to 38. I uh, just want to look one more time at God receiving praise. So we're going to look at the prophet Anna. From verse 36, there was also a prophet named Anna, the daughter of a Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then uh, was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, Mary and Joseph, at the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So now I'm going to transition over to talking about God and his wisdom. As we've taken time to um, see how he's praised right at the beginning, I just want that to be the posture of our hearts, not only just today, not only just for this season, but the posture of our hearts for life. That will always have um, an attitude of praise, will always have an attitude of gratitude, <laughs> will always be humble towards the Lord. We're always going to be thankful. And when you have that posture in your prayer life, in how you carry yourself, that you are always thankful no matter the situation, God sees that. I'm going to jump down, uh, still in Luke 2, to verse uh, 41 to 49. And now I want to talk about his wisdom. So this is Jesus at the temple. He's now 12 years old. Verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. <laughs> Can you imagine at 12 years old going into this big town, into this big place <laughs> without your parents, well, going with your parents, and then there your parents are ready to go home, and you're like, mm, I'm staying, I have work to do at 12 years old. <laughs> I remember when I was 12 years old, just going to the mall with my mom and dad, and I just lose them in the aisle, and that's it. <laughs> that I, I feel lost, but I can't imagine being in temple and I'm like, no, I belong here. I have work to do at 12 years old. Mom and dad, you can go. I have things to do. He was a different child. So after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They went on a whole day still thinking <laughs> that he was there with them. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, three whole days <laughs> of thinking that your kid is with you, 
then you start to realize, um, where's Jesus? <laughs> I thought you had him. I thought you had him. I thought he was in the back of the car. No, you, I, I, I thought we brought him. No. <laughs> he was busy doing work because he was not an ordinary child. And they still had to understand that. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. A 12-year-old. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. So imagine they're going back into the temple now, uh, where you have all high-profile people. You have adults, you have dignitaries, and you have people speaking, and you're thinking, you're thinking it's a very dignified, it's a very um, adult conversation. And then you walk in, and you see that it's your son that is leading the charge. He's leading the discussion. At 12 years old, he was not an ordinary child. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, as parents should. <laughs> of course, <laughs> they're going to disregard it. They're going to disregard um, what he's doing and go into parent mode. Where were you? We were looking for you. We were gone three days, and we missed you. Why did you leave us? But then Mary had to realize she's not just talking to a child. She's talking to the Son of God. Verse 49, uh, this is Jesus now responding back to Mary. Why were you searching for me? He asked. I cannot speak like that at 12 years old to my mom. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of us, how we were raised, coming from where we are, you cannot speak like that to your mom or your dad. <laughs> Why were you searching for me? <laughs> Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's answering her question with a question. That's very bold. <laughs> but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I wish I was that bold at 12 years old. <laughs> Not against my parents, but just bold in general at 12 years old. That's how you can see he was already different. He knew that from the get-go, from his conception, he was on a mission. That he's not going to live a regular life of, um, of a child, of an adult. But he came with work to do. Why were you searching for me? He's saying this because they should know this already. He's the son of God. He has things to do. Didn't you know I had to be in my heavenly father's house? But they did not understand that yet. It still took time for them to understand, but God was still patient. And even in that, even on his mission, he was still obedient to his parents. And as it says, children, honor your parents. And that's what he did. Even though he had work to do, he was still obedient. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Even though Jesus, at 12 years old, already knew better, he already knew what lies ahead, 
he still honored his parents, because that's his parents. As we should. So I want to transition again. As we looked into his wisdom, I want to jump a little bit more forward now, and we're going to look at his miracles. If we're going to jump down to Luke 4, verse 31 to 36. So this is Jesus driving out an impure spirit. So at this point, Jesus has grown up a little bit more. He's become more wise. He's become bigger. He's become stronger. He's become an adult. And he's really operating in the authority of what God has given him. In verse 31, Jesus, he went down to uh, Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching. Because of his, uh, because of his, because his words had authority behind it. He wasn't just saying blank words that you just apply to your life, like, "Oh, that that sounds cool. That's very catchy. That that's a nice, it's a nice little piece of advice you gave." But each of his words had authority behind it. Verse thirty-three: In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, "Go away! What do you want with us?" Jesus of Nazareth, this is the demon talking. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So we're just looking at some of his miracles. And in that, we're looking at him sending out and casting out spirits. And he's given us that same authority uh, when we run into those situations where you might find somebody that clearly is going through a spirit, that clearly has a stronghold. He's given us that same, that same power. He's given us that same authority to cast out demons in his name. We're looking at his miracles, and people were baffled at what he was doing. Because people, they've probably seen that guy um, that was going through the motions of, of being taken over by that spirit. And nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows how to get rid of that. To them, that guy just looks like a crazy guy. Then here comes Jesus. He didn't have to do much. He didn't even have to give an intro of himself. But him just showing up, the spirit already noticed who this is. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Already the spirit sees who he is. This is not just an ordinary man. This is the son of God. And already fear is taking over them. And they realize Jesus is here. This is not going to go my way. I need to get out. I need to, I need to still listen to him. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The only words he had to say. And still, even impure spirits have to humble themselves and listen to what he says and leave. And that's just one of the many, many miracles that God has uh, done in his lifetime. 
as we look, as we're going to go down into verse 38, we're going to look at how Jesus heals many people, as we're going to continue on that theme of miracles now. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up and at once began, began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them, just a touch of his hand. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. Each and every impure spirit had to declare who he was. They had to. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out, uh, went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them because they see this is Jesus. He's a blessing to us. He's come here already, and he's worked so many miracles. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's really changing up the environment. He's operating in his mission. And they didn't want him to go. Verse 43, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I have work to do, and I'm just passing through. I did what I could in this town, but there's more people that need to hear about me. There's more people that need to hear about God. And that's why I'm here. He was on a mission. Verse 44, and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. As we look at his miracles, and that's just some of them. There's many more where he turned uh, water into wine, where he was able to feed so many with just, what, a couple loaves of bread and two fish. All those miracles he committed, or not committed, sorry, but all those miracles that he performed. This is another reason why we we praise and we celebrate Jesus. Because he's sovereign, because he's holy, he's not ordinary, because we've seen what he has done during those times. And I want us to each have that same faith that he can commit and he can still do those same miracles in our lives today. If he can turn water into wine, what more can he do with our lives? If he can feed 5,000 with very minimal food, what more can he do in our lives? There's nothing, there's no problem too big for God to handle. As we go back, as I'm thinking back of that song, I have a savior. And, and as they were exhorting about what you may be going through um, at this time of your life, maybe you might not be going through anything at all, and that in itself is a testimony Amen to that. There's always a testimony. But if you are going through anything, as we read through this, I want you to realize that he's there for you. That the same miracles that he performed back then, he can do the same in your lives. Whether it's finances, whether it's finding a job, you could be losing your house, whether it's your marriage, your kids, whether you're just personally feeling down yourself. God can fill those things. And when those times come up, that's not the time for you to run away or back off and I need time to myself to, to figure things out. 
it's not the time to step away from church and I've just been too busy, I need to figure things out. But it's when you're going through that fire is when you have to get on your knees and really seek God. That is when you have to come to church more as you see your community and they pray for you. That is when you need to be involved more. Asking God, I need new oil. I need a fresh anointing. Lord, I need you to really work on me. I need you to fill me. I need you to remove all the stumbling blocks that is in my life and fill me with more of you. Because God, I cannot do it on my own. I can't do it myself. And if we left our situations up to our own vices, we can see that it can quickly spiral, it can, it can quickly go downhill, and it only gets worse. When you're going through, through, through things, you need community, and you need Jesus to work on you. But you have to humble yourself as well. You have to realize that sometimes I am the problem. I might be making decisions of my own will. I might be making decisions that I think make sense. I'm making the logical decisions, but they still don't work out. And when we're making these decisions without God in the midst of it, it can never work. It can never work. But always putting God first. This same child who was praised from the very beginning, putting him first, in our lives, putting him in, in first in the midst of our situations. That's the game changer right there. And that's just some of his miracles. As we go down more, I want to look at his teachings because he's taught a lot throughout his time. And he had his disciples and he gave them everything so they can go out and teach as well. And this has become the instruction to our lives as well. The same things that they had to apply at their time, we have to apply now ourselves. As I wanna go down, I'm gonna look at Luke 5, uh, verse 29 to 31. This really shows that Jesus is for everybody. He doesn't play favorites. Salvation is there for anybody that wants to accept him, that wants to choose Jesus. So we're going to look at verse 29. Looking at his disciples, he said, or just to give context, let me go up to verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around uh, Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, more miracles. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Just a touch of his garment was enough to cure you, to get rid of anything impure. And that's just how holy he was. Just a very quick sidetrack. The definition of holy means exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. And if you're going by that definition, worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness, then you will realize that nothing is really holy except for Jesus. 
Anything outside of God is not holy. Nothing is perfect in goodness. Nothing is perfect in righteousness except him. So only he could be holy, which is why I titled this the Holy One. So as we go into verse 29, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This is blessings and woes. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And as we look and when we when we look at that, what I take from it is you have to come to Jesus with humbleness. In all those on we're looking at the blessed passage, it's clearly you who may be going through something. But as you keep him in your life, as you stay humble, as you continue to have that heart of gratitude towards him in your situations. He'll state what's the problem that you're going through, but he will reaffirm you that there's joy in the morning. He's going to reaffirm you that there's light at the end. Blessed are you who are poor right now, but yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who might be hungry right now, but you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you that might be going through things. For you will laugh in the midst of your situations. You will still find joy. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil, when the world is against you because of the Son of Man, because you chose Jesus. People will be against you. But he always starts off these phrases with, blessed are you. This is not a curse. Even though you're going through things, it's not a curse. Blessed are you. As we go down into another one of his teachings, he teaches us how to love our enemies. As we look into verse 27, but to you who are listening, he's still speaking to his disciples, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. I've never done that myself, but take with, what, take with it as you will. <laughs> if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. 
if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He's no respecter of man. God is very patient. He's very willing. And he's seeking each and every single person. Those who we may feel that don't deserve it, those who we might feel is they're long gone, there's no chance for them. Who are we to say that? God can work on anybody. And when we say and when we believe that someone is too far gone, that someone has gone the wrong path and there's just no hope for them, When we say that about people, we're already diminishing what God can do. Because we can't look and read his miracles, and then we proclaim, and then we think, this person is beyond saving. Because God has done much more than just saving that one person. If he's done that much more, what is that one person to save? He can easily do that. So loving your enemies, when, what we take from this is that you have to walk with grace. You're going to find people that are against you. You're going to find people that are clearly against God, that are against what God teaches. And that's, that's just life. That's the world. God gave us a choice, and they chose to walk the way that they walk. But you don't hold anything against them. They, they're on that path for whatever reason that they chose. Some of them, they, a lot of them say that I grew up in church and... I've gone through a lot of things. I've had a lot of church hurt. People have treated me bad. And we have to be understanding in those situations. Because the reality is a lot of people, probably everybody has gone through a moment where they have felt like the church has let me down. The church has hurt me. The church has done this and that and that and that. But what they get wrong is that it's the people that do that. It's not God. God has not failed you. God never failed them. It's people. And it's unfortunate in those situations when they go through that. But it's in those situations is when you have to love them more. You have to give them more grace. You have to let them know you, have, you, you don't show that you're more high than they are. Because you've, if, uh, you've um, accepted Jesus, you are different from them. But you're still human. We're not above one another. It doesn't make me any better than you, but I know where my future is. That's the difference. I know where my hope comes from. I know where my strength comes from. I know that my future is with him. And we don't say that to belittle anybody. We don't say that to put anybody down. It's just when we choose Jesus, we walk with a different kind of confidence that they walk with. They walk with a confidence of... This is what I've done for myself. I've built up my life. I've done this for myself. I've provided for myself. I've worked hard for myself. And their confidence is in their abilities. Our confidence 
is in Jesus. Our confidence is in what Jesus has already done for us, what we know he will do for us, and what he's currently doing in our lives. Our confidence is in, is in this. As we read everything that he's done, it's a record of everything that he's done. That's our confidence that we know and we've seen. It's all written what he's done. That's our confidence. We're no different from them, but we walk with a different confidence because of Jesus. Love your enemies. Be merciful unto them. Have grace with them. And just show them love. Don't treat them funny. Don't treat them a different way because they're clearly different. But show them love. We go back into, just to finish it, verse 36. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. If God is merciful to everybody and is extremely patient with everybody, and we want to be more like him, we have to learn to be patient and merciful with everybody, even when we don't feel like it, even when our boss at work is really being something. <laughs> we have to be patient with it. And because they still have their role over you as your boss, you still have to honor them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to subscribe to everything that they do. But you still honor to them. You still honor them as your employer, as your boss, the person that hired you. You still honor them no matter how they treat you. And you still show them the love of Jesus. Because it's very easy for another person to just retaliate back and treat them how, how they've been, been treated. But because we're different, because we walk different, we're not going to go stoop to that level. We're still going to show kindness in the midst of our situation. We're still going to show patience and grace in the midst of our situation. As I jump down to verse 37 of his teachings, we're going to look at how, what Jesus tells us about judging others. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given on to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back onto you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher. The employee is not above the employer. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We have to be very careful when we want to go and judge others. When you do that, you put yourself in a very vulnerable situation to be judged just the very same. It's very easy to see problems in other people's lives because you're looking from a third person perspective, but it's much harder to see the, own, the problems in your own life. It's, it's harder to see the things that you commit because you know how to justify what you do. 
but it's easy to see others do things, and that's not right. Be careful when you go down that route, because the same thing can come back onto you. As we look into verse 43, we're going to look at a tree and its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. If you're a good person, you're going to bear good fruit. If you're a bad person, you're going to bear bad fruit. If your life is just riddled with bad decisions after bad decisions, the result will be bad fruit. If you're someone that has um, taken, has built your life on good decisions, uh, making wise decisions, you're going to bear good fruit. If you're someone that has taken the time to, you're 18 years old, you're still in school, and you, you get your, your weekly lunch money from your parents, I already want to start putting away half of that into just my, my piggy bank, my little bit of savings. I finally get my first job. I want to start putting half of that or a portion of that into my savings. And you build up that mentality of, I want to save rather than spend now. You're already building up good fruit. You're making a wise decision. And eventually, you reap what you sow. And when you sow into good fruit, when you sow into a good mindset, into a good, um, a good way of life, you're going to reap the results as well. When you choose Jesus and you follow him, he only has good for you. He only means good for you. And when you build your life on Jesus, you're going to bear good fruit. When you take that time to save up everything, and then when the time comes for you to reap what you have sown, you will see the evidence of your good fruit. If you look at the opposite, if every paycheck you get, every little thing you get, I just want to spend it off because it's not here for a long time. I'm not here for a long time. I'm just here for a good time. And you're just spending everything that you get. You're not using any wisdom in your finances. You're not using any wisdom in your life. Soon, when it's time for you to reap what you have sown, you're going to see that I bear bad fruit. I didn't save anything. My lifestyle was just spend, 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 and I have nothing to see for it. I took the instant gratification over the patience, over waiting, over using godly wisdom to do what's right. Save a little bit. But I did my things my way, and I wanted to feel good. Now I've spent everything, and now the time comes when I need and I'm bearing bad fruit because of bad decisions I've made. Verse 45, or going back to 44, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. You can see when somebody is a good how would I phrase that? Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. You can see how somebody carries themselves in the way that they present themselves. If somebody clearly presents themselves as somebody that is from a struggling neighborhood and they've adapted into that lifestyle, I'm not expect, and, and you can clearly see that, well, going back into that, that financial example, if you clearly see someone has a habit of spending and spending and spending, I'm not going to go into them expecting, hey, um, can you give me a little bit of financial advice on how I can achieve this? That's, you see the fruit of, of, of what they sow into. That's not the person that you want to ask for financial advice. 
vice versa. If there's somebody that they will, if the person that spends a lot want to ask that person, hey, like, should I buy this? Should I buy that? Do I like, or should I do this? Should I do that? They're not going to give them the answer that they want. They're going to tell you, no, you should put money aside. You should save. Don't expect someone that saves. Don't go and ask them, can I spend on this? Can I buy this? Or should I get this? They're not going to give you the answer you want because that's, that's just the wrong tree that you're talking to. And that's just one example. It's the same way in just regular life. You know somebody by their fruit and how they carry themselves. You can tell if somebody is different, if you're discerning, you can tell someone is different by how they carry themselves. You can tell by their temperament, um, just looking at patterns of how they carry themselves. If you can see that they're wise with their money, that there's somebody that is always on time, and that's, <laughs> that's a very minuscule thing that we look at, but it's so important. You can, there's so many people in your life, you probably don't notice, that is very particular that they like to be on time. They're always on time. You don't notice it, but when you think back, that person is always there. Work starts at 8 o'clock. They're there 7.55, 7.45. They're always on time. We don't look at it as a big thing, but we can see that is fruit. That is something that they pour into. You can see that, okay, this is somebody that's organized. This is somebody that is very disciplined. You see some people that they might be stumbling in that, 8.10 when work started at 8 o'clock. If you're me, sometimes 8.30. <laughs> sometimes you're just stumbling in. You can see what they sow into. Maybe that person still needs more discipline. That person might need a little bit more organization in their lives. And you can tell that by their lifestyle and how they carry themselves. When I look into verse 46, this is the wise and foolish builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and do not do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This is your guide for life. It tells you everything that you need to know. It tells you exactly how you need to <coughs> carry yourself as you go through life. There's no situation in life that is not covered in some way in the Bible. Jesus is going to guide you through each situation. And you ultimately, you have the choice. How do I want to build my life? How do I want to build my house? I can build it on his teachings, and when we make him the foundation of everything, you're solid as a rock. Situations still come. They come for everybody. But since you're built on a foundation, you're not going to be shaken, you're not going to fall, because you know where your source comes from, you know where your strength comes from. If you take these words and you just disregard them, I want to build my life, I want to build my house with my own bricks, I want to use my own knowledge, I want to use my, 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 
that foundation is not there. It's not the same foundation. It's bricks compared to sand. And when you get hit by those situations, they will hit you hard. You'll get desperate, you will scramble, you won't know what to do, because your strength only comes from you. And then what do you do when your strength runs out? If they're not seeking him, where else do they get their strength? Drinking, drugs, and that's not even to get strength. It's just to forget about the issue for a moment. But the issue is still there. When we get hit with those same problems, with those same scenarios, and we're depleted, we have no more strength, he'll give us fresh oil. He'll give us, he'll renew our strength. He'll give us everything that we need. And he'll fill us again and again and again. We just return to his word and he will fill us again and again. So as I get ready to close, I just, as we've gone through just only parts of his life, not even a whole lot, but just parts, as we've gone through how he's praised, as we've gone through just the wisdom of Jesus, as we've just gone through his miracles and his teachings, I want this to be a reminder of why we celebrate Christmas, of why we celebrate Jesus during this time. And it's not just this time, it's every day. But as the world celebrates Christmas, they should know the real reason of why we celebrate Christmas. It's not for gifts. It's for the best gift. That's why we celebrate it. Um, I like to call the band back up, and I really wanted to really hone in on the, the theme of Jesus being the Holy One, because from the very beginning, he was never ordinary. He gave us wise teachings. He's given us um, the order and the steps of how we build our life, how we live our life, and what we do with our life. Jesus will never set you up for failure. He'll never set you up to stumble. And when things happen, that's not Jesus. He allowed it. But that's not him just pushing things on you. He allowed it. It's a testing. Just think of it as a testing. It's a testing. And if you've built your life on Jesus, you will not be phased. We've all gone through things in our life. We're all probably still going through things in our life that sometimes we just don't even tell people. We're not going to talk about it, and that's okay. But in those moments, we have to remember that he's the Holy One, that he's the Son of God, that he's the one that has come to save us, that he's the one that has worked so many miracles back then, and we have to believe in our heart that he'll work those same miracles for us today. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he's still the same God that brought Lazarus back from the dead four days after he died. Four days, you're already dead and gone, and he brought him back to life, flesh and bones, everything. If he can do that for a dead man, what could he do for you in your situation today? Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.